I'm Sadia Tariq and you're listening to Dhani the podcast. We are in conversation today with Ashwini Devire, a former journalist and author of two books. Her latest memoir is Lost at 15 Found at 50, a book which is a coming of age story that chronicles Ashwini's journey from Moscow to Singapore against the backdrop of historical political events. including the Cold War, democracy in South Korea, and the dark period of authoritarianism in Burma in the 70s. Ashwini, thank you so much for um, being my guest on Dhani. Thank you, Sadia. It's a pleasure to be on your program. Um, I was at uh, the book launch of your um, of your latest book uh, lost at 15 found at 50 and uh, when you were talking there were just so many things that resonated with me and i was thinking that um, um it uh, those things would be resonating with my children as well in terms of uh, uh, living cross culturally moving every 3 to 4 years adopting layers of those cultures and peeling away some of our own um selves to assimilate and to accommodate. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to cut the chase and I'm going to quickly get on to my first question which is that the book is lost at 15 found at 50. What did you lose at 15 and <laughs> what did you find at 50? <laughs> Thank you Sadia. Um I get a lot of questions about the title of my book. Um you know when I was 15 years old I was utterly lost because I had lived outside of India my entire life and at 15 I came back to India and I thought when I got back it would be like homecoming that I would be back in my own country but actually it turned out to be just the opposite um when I landed in India I felt as foreign as it could be and I felt like a foreigner in my own country with nowhere to run so that's when I felt very lost and It took me a couple of years and I was in India during the formative teenage years, high school years where you just want to blend in. And of course I had I was quite used to being the new girl every 2 to 3 years. Um and the same thing happened to me when I landed in India in Pune uh in my grandmother's home and once again, you know, I was a new girl and it was a lot of adjusting and assimilating in my own country. So over time though you know this foreignness that I was experiencing started to chip away whittle away and I began to feel comfortable and suddenly um you know the flora and fauna around me uh felt native and not borrowed and it was a very comfortable feeling to be back and it began to feel like home um so that was at 15 and then of course the nomadic life continued for many years after that and continued all the way till I was about uh in my 40s and when i was 50 um i suddenly felt the sense of um coming full circle the stability that had been missing in my childhood and adolescence uh i discovered that at 50 because i'd lived in one place for x number of years more than a decade and that um stability made me feel um finally that i you know i had found myself I don't know if that that answered your question. Totally, totally, but when you say that you found yourself you found your roots, you found an identity, you found 
the courage to um be totally open and porous yes sadia actually you're right um you know when you've had this sort of a peripatetic or nomadic existence your entire life i think there comes a time when um you are ready to share your story and it uh 3 or 4 years ago i felt ready to pen this memoir i hadn't felt ready earlier because i think you need the distance when you start to write something so personal uh, it was a bit daunting i mean i knew i had the material i had the content but i just wasn't quite sure how to weave all this material that i had together and it was 3 years ago that i suddenly felt this urgency to write uh, my uh, my memoir to write uh, about my own journey and um it just came gushing out and i became very immersed uh in in this memoir and it also was because i felt um finally grounded and rooted um you asked me about home um uh, you know i think the search for home i um it was a struggle for a long period it was a, through much of my life i was constantly uh, searching for home uh, that feeling of rootlessness of um wanting to belong uh was a constant sp- uh, sort of like a pang within me and um i wasn't really sure where home was now finally i feel that you know it doesn't matter home to me is a montage of abstract imagery today home is uh in many places to me today home is um pune where my extended family or my grandmother used to live today home can be singapore where you know i've raised my children or it could be the it, it's us where my sister lives or delhi where my parents live so to me mm. i i feel enormously gifted and fortunate that i have so many places i can call home and this restlessness has eased and also i think coming to terms with your identity because that quest for ident belonging wanting to be something you're not or trying to assimilate or uh, you know constantly struggling to to blend in uh, was uh, put a lot of pressure on me in my childhood and my adolescence because every 2 to 3 years you know it was like being on a on on board a foreign express and at every station the scenery changed you know new environments new languages new people new cultures and constantly having to um uh, blend in and i think finally uh, you know you reach a stage where you're just comfortable in your own skin and yeah. that that happened to me sort of caught up on me um you know before i even really realized that it was happening and uh, it just sort of happened at the turn time when i turned 50 uh, mm. coincidentally yeah. mm. so this nomadic roller coaster that you've been it has taken you from india to moscow to sikkim um to seoul uh, to singapore um and and when you when you look back which station has been most uh, fundamental for you it's an interesting and an important question um because you know every place that i was in played a role in shaping me into who i am today it would mm. be difficult for me to sort of deconstruct and say one thing played a bigger role than the other but they Absolutely. were like little pieces of the entire puzzle that came together and it was while writing this book that um i actually relived many of those experiences all over again and it became very fresh to me again and often people say that you know when you start writing and you remember more so that you know the more i dug the more i unraveled 
the more I wrote, the more I remembered. And it all sort of came back uh, very vividly. And each country, I mean, each station, as I mentioned, of, on that Foreign Express had, um, had some, you know, elements that became embedded in me for life. For instance, now I think uh, what comes back to me vividly, of course, is the, are those five formative years in India. And that was the longest spell, a time I ever spent back in India. And those were extremely formative years and crucial to uh, shaping me because uh, not only was I um, at that right, that age, um, uh, where, um, you know, you develop friendships, you develop relationships, um, but I also understood the power of family, of, uh, of the value of the value system that I embraced at the time, just living in close proximity to uncles and aunts and my grandmother. Uh, I realized how, um, you know, enriching all this was for me. Of course, at that time, I was, it was not always pleasant because I was sharing a home with nine adults and, uh, you know, it was, it was a culture shock being back mm. home, but but the relationships and um you know what i what came out of it was uh something that i would only understand and um you know uh, appreciate much later on in life and of course um i would also say that my experience in seoul in south korea was also an eye opener because when i uh, lived in south korea this was back in the uh, mid to late 80s south korea was in the throes of extraordinary change political change and it was also coincidentally the time in my life where there was a lot of upheaval and I was, you know, going from, um, I'd, say, I'd say I was becoming an adolescent and a teenager. And in the backdrop was this country that was going from a dictatorship to democracy right in front of my eyes. You know, we could feel the tear gas and as students protested and riots unfolded in the streets of Seoul. And it was a student movement that overthrew the government. And to see that firsthand, to experience that was historic because it was a watershed moment in the history of South Korea, uh, in mm. the political history of South Korea. So I think that was a very pivotal moment and a very, uh, at an impressionable age for me. So I remember being hugely inspired by these students and I learned a lot by just, by just observing what was going on right for, uh, outside my window. And I was, you know, very, uh, I mean, I was extremely impressed by their patriotism, the nationalism, and, um, you know, their determination to fight for this cause, for the greater good for their country. And I think that remained with me for a long time. Mm. And, um, you know, it shaped me in many ways. So I think living in all these countries also, you know, evoked in me an inquiry about history, about uh, the interest for geopolitics for history. I became a student of history all over again, just when I, by writing this memoir. And uh, the other country that in many, many ways has shaped my outlook was um, the United States, because I went there as a graduate student. And, you know, I was a foreigner back in the 90s, an accented foreigner, uh, trying to get into mainstream television news. And if you're familiar with the US, you will know that it's not easy for a foreigner uh, to mm. break into mainstream American media, and this was back in the 90s. Um, so I, you know, I, I worked in a local television station in suburban USA, and I learned to appreciate this country um, because underneath the super, you know, the superpower, there was a simplicity and warmth to small town America that I discovered and explored, and 
you know, it was that sincerity of the people that they opened up their homes to me, you know, invited, invited me over for Thanksgiving dinners or Christmas dinners. And, you know, it was something that I, I really uh, valued and appreciated tremendously. So these mm. are so many different countries, so many different types of um, cultures and people that have influenced me, undoubtedly. Because, you know, the other thing is, it's, it was like growing up in a class with the world as my classroom. You know, the, it was a laboratory of so cultures and people. So at a, from a young age, I was able to, you know, cross-reference, compare, analyze different cultures and people. I would find that quite fascinating. Now, what made South Korean students so nationalistic? Or what made Russians so artistic, so rich in the arts? Mm. Um, you know, or, or the Americans, their, the simplicity in many ways. So it was, it was exactly like being in an international classroom from a young age. Yeah, and as you're saying, like constantly curious. And then that constant curiosity um, drives you to appreciate um, uh, those moments. So um, you mentioned as the pieces of the puzzle uh, started coming together. So uh, visualizing you sitting and putting those thousands and thousands of pieces together whilst you were um, in the process of writing your book. And obviously, there was a lot of unraveling, as you said. Yes. Were yes. there any pieces that were missing? And you felt that there was pain, there was pain in, in unraveling whilst you were putting the memoir down? Mm -hmm. Well, it's an interesting question because, um, Sadia, you know, people write memoirs for a host of different reasons. For some, it's a form of healing. You know, if you've experienced trauma, uh, writing is very cathartic and very therapeutic. For others, it's a, it's a means of spreading a message. For others, it's an exploration of your own identity, um, some right to remember. So there's so many different reasons why people pen their memoirs. Um, to me, uh, it was certainly for me, it was about exploring my past, but it was also because I was hugely inspired by uh, my parents. And in a way, it was a tribute to them. This book is a tribute to them um, because they, you know, they embarked on this journey as a young couple from small town India. And they were catapulted into from small town India into the heart of the Soviet Union, which was firmly behind the Iron Curtain in the 19th, in the mid 60s. And their positivity, their innate, um, you know, optimism, their free-spiritedness, all these were hugely inspiring for me And as I sat down to write this book. And it was a way of preserving that legacy for posterity, because if you have teenage children, you know that, you know, they hardly have time to talk to you and leave alone, you know, really um, spend a lot of time understanding your past. But I was hoping that down the road, they will read this book and learn to appreciate the family legacy. So in many ways, it was, uh, I was writing it for myself and for my family. Uh, along the way, of course, um, I became so immersed in, in the eras that I was trying to recreate. So it was, it was a way of, you know, just wandering through the corridors of history in many ways that, um, that ultimately, uh, you know, was part of this whole book writing process for me. Yeah. Um, I remember um, uh, I was sitting uh, in the row right behind your parents when they were there at the book launch and I could feel uh, the joy and the pride um, when they saw you um, talking. Um, and as you said that, so 
now you were the and and we've moved as well as a family and from what i learned from my first move was that i was totally emotionally kind of raw and broken that oh my god i'm going to be leaving my country and what's going to happen and i'm going to leave my friends and my family and the first thing when we landed um uh, in singapore i remember were my two little kids and they were they felt at home immediately and i mm-hmm. the first thing that i learned from them was that it's the kids are resilient they are very yes. very resilient and they and and we worry for them but that is something that i learned from my kids that you know no matter what wherever you moving if you if you keep that positivity going the settling procedure takes time but it's it's peaceful so um so i just want to, so my question here is that you said that your parents positivity was the driving force um for you to adjust and amalgamate in this thing so now so you were receiving all that positivity and then you still absolutely. kept moving absolutely and what is what are the what are the three things that you have extended to your children because this is a day and age of of movement absolutely of, of cross cultural living yes yes you're right absolutely um in many ways um it's not very different from when i was a kid of course the times were different politically and um the countries that we lived in um were very different from what we uh, the world we're living in today um you know uh, foreigners were not uh, welcome in countries many countries around the world in europe or switzerland where i lived at the time and you you know it was very difficult to uh, assimilate in societies where asians were not welcome and mm. uh, i remember as a child that was very traumatic but, but in, within the four walls of our home there was always that spirit of you know we will overcome this or uh, this is this is an experience and of course when i was 10 years old i did not appreciate my father telling me you know this is far you know you, this is something you will really learn to value when you get get older uh, these experiences that you get inheriting by being in such countries uh i was forced to learn french when i had never heard the language before at the age mm-hmm. of 11 because we were posted to geneva and i had to go to a local school where nobody spoke a word of english and i remember being traumatized because i couldn't understand anything anyone was sta- saying besides i was the only indian in this in the entire school um so it required a, a tremendous amount of resilience and i did not appreciate my parents putting me in that situation i would say i didn't mm. sign up for this you know i didn't sign mm. up for this um mm. and of course at the time switzerland was uh, you know it was not an easy place for a foreigner so i remember being generally sulky and angry and um, very rebellious and did not appreciate um, the situation i was in um now i can look back and say yes it you know it it's made me who i am but at that time when you're going through it yes i i do agree that children are resilient and they do um you know they have a way of of coping with all the changes that are thrust at them um mm. but sometimes i do think that we adults uh, gloss over uh you know it it can be traumatic there can be a lot of anxiety there is a lot of um you know when there's disruption and frequent changes um friendships mean a, a lot to uh, to teenagers and as an adolescent the last thing you want to do is 
uh, you know, to start all over again. You just want to be, Correct. you just want to be invisible. You want to blend in. You don't want to stick out in any way. And teenagers, as it is, it's a very, very difficult time for um, you know, it's going through so many emotional and psychological and physical changes. And the last thing you want to do is have to, um, you know, have to um, go to a new school or make new friends. So I mm-hmm. think it's 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 a time where um, you know, as adults, we have to be, you know, it's a very vulnerable time for them, and uh, communications and trying to understand what they're going through, and there'll always be a generation gap. Uh, however yeah. modern or progressive you might think of yourself as a parent, there's always a generation gap. And to breach that is a huge challenge, especially for us today, um, because even though we are hyper-connected in this Insta world of everything Insta, um, there is, I believe, a growing sense of isolation, and social media is driving that, where sure. people are beginning, despite being so interconnected, you're actually more lonely in many ways, and so it's being fueled by all the uh, echo chambers and um the virtual world that our teenagers are growing up in so it is it is a challenging and a complex world that they are navigating today and um i think in many ways it's it's even more difficult to be an adolescent or a teenager today than say 20 30 years ago mm. uh, but at the but in terms of the uh, uh you know immigrant experience or third culture kids kid experience um they're the same challenges that they face uh, today, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, in, even though we're living in melting pots and we're living in, a, in diverse um, countries where there's much more diversity and much more uh, of a you know, mosaic of cultures and people, uh, there, is, um, there is still that, that fear of being different or not being, you know, accepted amongst your peers and the kinds of pressures. Yeah. That's so true. That uh, kids these days are experiencing, yeah. uh, which can take a toll on them, and which uh, you know we think that they, this it you know they should be resilient and should be able to handle it. But um, yeah, I think I think it's very challenging. How were your friendships and relationships affected with all your moves? Well, I grew up in a world where there was no social media, so every three years, the goodbyes and the farewells were very final because you really never knew if you would ever meet your friends again. And I remember in Geneva when I was 11, 12, and 13, I was there from the age of 11 to 13, I had a, a lovely friend, a Swiss girl called Isabel, and she became a really close friend of mine. For three years, we were inseparable. But I knew when I had to say goodbye to her that I would probably never see her again. And mm. sometimes today I do wonder, where is Isabel? I've tried to find her on a Facebook. Or, um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just a little fragment of memory. It makes me feel nice about the time that I spent in Switzerland. But I, you know, it, those, those were very uh, transient uh, relationships because they were short and they were brief. Um, mm. So what, what uh, you know, how do these relationships um, sort of shape you when, when you're constantly on the move and there's so many uh, changes? Um, of course, if, in terms of your identity, it, um, it makes you wonder where you belong. Um, in terms mm-hmm. of friendships, you know, you, you yearn for friendships. You yearn for um, stability. 
And how do you reconcile so many diverse experiences and impulses? And, you know, I often question myself, do I value every relationship uh, that I've been in even for a few months because I've got used to the, the idea that they would be short and ephemeral and mm. impermanent? Mm. Or am I detached and disengaged once again because I know they're going to be short-lived? Yeah. Um, so growing up, I think, you know, we engaged with the friends that we had. And at the back of my our minds, I, my sister and I knew that, um, you know, we prepared to say goodbye uh, mm. when the time comes. Mm. Um, but it's interesting, Sadia, that today I noticed that um, in today's generation of kids, and I may be wrong on this, you know, they a lot of friendships are on Facebook or through social media and Sometimes they're with people you've never met, you know, and they become your community. Um, and it's, it's almost perfectly all right to be friends with people you've never met or to have a yeah. community, which is, uh, you know, a community that is virtual. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a new trend of uh, relationships and friendships. And mm -hmm. it's, it's um, clearly um, a form of bonding that, that is bringing a lot of people together. So it's a different mm -hmm. definition of friendships today than when we were growing up. You're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely right. Um, I'm totally with you in terms of this these transient relationships and not knowing how long they're going to last for, yet you uh, become uh, deeply attached, knowing that, you know, there will be a time to move on. Um, sometimes they stay with you and sometimes they don't. As you, you know, as they say that the, the, con the only constant thing is is change in this, in this world. Um, <laughs> moving on. Um, so you were um, a journalist and then you worked for the BBC and CNBC and here you have a life where, which is a complete um, film, so to say, of um, very, very important historical events. So you've kind of lived through them and then uh, you enter broadcasting. So that experience must have um, given you um and you and your personality a lot of holding yes most definitely uh the life that i lived as a as um the daughter of a foreign service officer and growing up in different countries played a vital role in my becoming a journalist because um having lived in countries where the the political backdrop was continuously evolving and was hugely exciting and it just fortuitously or coincidentally turned out that every country that we were posted in was in the throes of extraordinary changes was going were going through political upheaval and turbulence and because of that you know geopolitics the political landscape was so much part of our ethos growing up that it i could not separate that from my personal journey so the mm. political journey in the background and it was parallel to my personal journey and the two went mm. hand in hand mm. and it was never something separate like salt and pepper jars they were just enmeshed um, mm. because we we couldn't ignore what was happening around us but more than that we were hugely uh, excited hugely yeah, involved and engaged with the the developments in our host countries 
mm. um, because you would look out the window and things were happening at a at a you know frantic pace. It was like being part of a history book, and if you paused, you would just miss um, a chapter that was just being written right there in front of your eyes. Mm. Mm. Moscow was um, at the heart of the Cold War, so it was a. I was too little to remember, but my parents talk about a time when it was it was the peak of communism. Um, from Russia, we went to Washington. Once again, I was young, too little to know. But, you know, my parents, I spent hours and hours talking to my parents, uh, trying to, to relive every single day through their eyes. Uh, Washington and uh, America in the 60s, you know, momentous events were shaping that country at the time. Uh, the Vietnam War was taking place. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Neil Whoa. Armstrong walked on the moon. Yeah. Uh, Nixon was uh, became president. It was uh, and once and also what we take for granted today, you know, the rush to suburbanization, the American dream. All these things were taking place at the time, with just the start, the cusp of the American dream, and to be witness to this, that kind of change was just, I think, phenomenal. It was a rush of excitement. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, we landed. We landed in Sikkim from Washington, and Sikkim, the most uh, pivotal moment in the history of Sikkim, because at the time, Sikkim was a monarchy. It was an independent country in the Himalayas, a mountain kingdom, remote and forgotten. Mm. While we were there, the pro-democracy movement started. And before we knew it, um, you know, the, the demonstrations happened and the monarchy was abolished and Sikkim would become an integral part of India. And today, when you think about it, you know, most people don't even remember that Sikkim was an independent little kingdom just 50, 60, 70 years ago. Mm. And this all happened, and we were witnesses to, to this spectacular- To this movement. To this movement. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful. So it was just, um, geopolitics were the upheavals in these countries. I mean, it was heaving with history, and I, I mean, I had to put it down. I had to, um, uh, it just happened anyway, because my dad, my father would come back home and tell us about the events that were taking place. And we would be, you know, scared children wondering, uh, were we going to get through this? What was going to happen to us? So it was at every, um, every three years it was happening. And when we went, we landed in Burma, it was known as Burma at the time. It was the darkest period in the history of Burma. Burma. It was under the rule of authoritarian rule under General Nevin. And the country was on the verge of bankruptcy, heading towards, uh, you know, a complete breakdown. It was completely reclusive and isolated from the rest of the world. And when we got there, we felt that we were in this desolate land. Um, and we never knew if we would ever get out because you felt forgotten, you know, in a country like that. Mm. Um, and so that was Burma. And uh, when we landed in in India, once again, it was a very, uh, uh, this country was heaving with turmoil. You know, the uh, Indian prime minister was assassinated, Indira Gandhi. The Sikh riots followed and it was a dystopian, uh, dystopian uh, time. It was the, in 1980, it was dystopia unfolding in India at the time. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned South Korea, which is where we headed to next. So it was, yeah. uh, it these were momentous events that uh, were happen just sort of transpiring in the backdrop of my life, mm. uh, hand in hand with history. I was I was a, a you know witness to history in many many ways.
And that was, um, through osmosis, I imbibed it. I processed it and it, it just became part of me and in many ways uh, played an uh, integral role in, in becoming um, a journalist because my love for uh, world affairs and geopolitics was born and I knew I had to do journalism. There was nothing else that excited me enough at the time. How wonderful, how wonderful this, this powerful um, environmental and cultural and geographical uh, movements um, shape us and we, we don't realize and they're constantly, mm -hmm. as you said, uh, constantly feeding on, into us. And we what we don't also realize is that we're also giving ourselves to, to the environment, to, the, to, to where we're living. The energy mm -hmm. is, is cross, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a cross of energies at all times. Um, and I would, I, would it be fair to assume that uh, there were, um, um, there were changes in your culinary palate, the way you dressed, the way you spoke. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There were, um, it became part of me to change with my environment because if I remained rigid uh, and was unwilling to change, I would be treated differently. And as a child and a teenager, as I mentioned earlier, who wants to be treated differently? You just yeah. want to sink and swim as sink. Otherwise, you would sink. So you just got to swim as quickly as you can. So that meant, of course, uh, whether it was how you dressed or how you spoke or how you behaved in public, everything was um, everything was done in a way that made me blend into my landscape. So I was a chameleon. That's exactly what I was. Yeah. I, the colors blended right in and. Um, yeah, I, I became a master of, uh, of blending into my environment. But isn't that um, beautiful? I mean, because as you said, if you were rigid, it would have been very difficult for you, your sibling, your sister and your parents yes, um, yes. To, to, to not being. And, and then at the end of the day, OK, so just coming to to, to the close, uh, clo to, to the mm -hmm. end of our conversation, if, if you were to um, give out a message. Uh, to say um, anybody, and as you know, the, you know, we, all of us, especially living in Singapore, yeah. one realizes that we're on the move. Everybody seems to be on the move at all times. Yes, what are the three top things that you would give out um, after having lived in history, witnessing history, um, and then finding yourself at fifty? Well, you know, as you mentioned, we are living in a in a nomadic world where people are moving more than they've ever moved before. Um, I'm all for that. And I believe there should be no borders. I believe people should have the freedom to move for a better life um, and to be able to, uh, to go after the opportunities that make them have a better life. And I really don't believe in, in borders and walls and fencing and all that's happening in, in the world today. Um, in terms of identity, I, I do believe that we have to have an open mind and I would urge, you know, people who are thrust in new environments to try and, um, you know, blend in, in the sense that, of course, you don't, you should not give up your uh, principles or your culture or, you know, your languages, but at the same time, you have to have an open mind. You have to have that curiosity, mm -hmm. that innate curiosity in, and inquisitiveness and appreciation 
of different cultures and the mosaic that this world is in today, and especially for for third culture children or um, the young generation today, they are living in a globalized world. Um, and being an isolationist is not going to um, is 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 not the solution. I really believe mm-hmm. that you have to amalgamate and be part of this wonderful, rich uh, mosaic that we are all part of this kaleidoscope of cultures. Um, and I, I really do believe that we we all play a part um you know you just can't be um, living you know in isolation it's so true i'm all for globalization yes <laughs> so true so true <laughs> um ashwini it's been absolutely wonderful um hearing you and looking at the positivity and uh, totally in agreement with you whereby realizing that the entire world is a kaleidoscope uh, full of colors um full of edges full of uh, shapes uh, and palettes um and the if we are all open to it it just everything becomes an advantage to us and for all the listeners uh, lost at 15 found at 50 is the book that's available at Am- uh, at amazon waterstones and foils um it is an historical and personal memoir but i think it's got loads of life lessons so for all those avid readers go out and buy it ashwini thank you so much thank you so much sadia it's a pleasure to uh, to talk to you absolutely likewise and thank you so much you take care yeah thank you bye bye Thank you so much for listening and we would be most humbled if you can leave us with a comment a rating or a suggestion thank you